You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Some uh, different supermarkets now, you just take them off the shelf and uh, they calculate in your, um, your bag, you know, as you check out, they, they actually know by you just taking it off the shelf, you know, what you've purchased and how much, how much it actually cost you. And then you just walk out of the, the supermarket. The technology that we possess today is like really amazing. So think about that, right? So this is the other alternative. It's the only way to buy and sell is to show that mark. How convenient would it be to not have to carry any money? No cash, no cards, nothing. It's not hard to see the appeal. Whatever form the mark would take, it could be a tattoo or a microchip or even some kind of biomarker that could easily be marketed as more convenient and secure when it ultimately allows government control on an unprecedented level. As Pastor Mike will illustrate in today's message, this technology is already in place and could be easily implemented on a broad scale. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 13 as he continues his message, The Trinity of Hell. Now let's go back to verse 3 again. And notice what it says there. And all the world marveled. They wondered after the beast. Why? Because in this man, they saw the possibility of overcoming death. But amazingly, I want you to think about this. A world which has been denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ for centuries now accepts the fact that here is a man who has conquered death. They admire his daring, his wisdom, his leadership, his military prowess, all of the attractive features of a great world leader in one individual, in one man. And so the leaders of nations will yield their thrones to him, and he will be idolized. Now that brings us to our third point, this morning, and that is worshiping the beast. Worshiping the beast. Okay, let's go back to our text. Verses 4 through 6. Are you guys with me? Okay? You following along? Am I explaining all of this okay? All right. Verses 4 through 6. So they, who's they? The worldwide population. So they worship the dragon. Who's the dragon? It's the devil. You know, if the devil presented himself as the devil, people wouldn't work bow down and worship him. But he's going to draw worldwide worship 
unto himself, that is the devil, through the Antichrist. You see that? Okay, so they worship the dragon. They're not even realizing that they're worshiping the, the dragon or the devil, who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who is able to make war with him? And by, by the way, again, I, I just love you know, the book of Revelation, because again, as I've already mentioned twice, we know how this whole thing turns out. You know, the Bible, the, the, the population of the world says, who is able to make war against the, the beast? But the Bible tells us that Jesus, when he comes back again, is destroyed by the brightness of his coming. Come on. He doesn't even have to, like, you know, draw a sword and, you know, hack away at the air. It's just through the brightness of his coming he's destroyed. I love that. And I just, I, I just love the book of Revelation because we know, again, how this whole thing works itself out. Now, verse 5 is very interesting. And I'm going to share with you a parallel uh, to what's recorded here uh, for us in just a moment. Verse 5. And he, the Antichrist, was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months or three and a half years or the last three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation. But I want to emphasize, notice, he was given a mouth. Who was he given a mouth from? The devil speaking great things and blasphemies. You know, uh, something very similar to this took place when Hitler reigned in uh, Germany. And uh, one of Hitler's uh, generals, Goebel, uh, wrote a book. And he alluded to, in this book, when Hitler would uh, rise and stand before the people and address them, like, for example, in the city of Square, and begin to speak, he would memorize the people. And Goebel, in his book, would suggest that uh, Hitler, when he began to speak, uh, came under a special anointing. But then again, also in that book, he said when he was alone with Hitler, he would fall to the ground and begin to chew on a rug and bark like a dog. Listen, let me tell you something. If you don't think Hitler was under the control of the devil, well, then you don't know nothing about the devil. Isn't that amazing? He would memorize you know, the multitudes when he would stand in, in, in back of a platform uh, to address people. And Goebel would refer to that as he's fallen under the anointing. And what anointing did he fall under? I believe he fell under the anointing of the devil. And, and he was able to persuade people, you see. God brought the people under a great uh, delusion. Well, anyway, in verse 6, let's go on. Uh, uh, verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Okay, so notice the wondering concerning the beast, the Antichrist, is now followed by worship, while the eternal triune God is blasphemed by the Antichrist. And millions upon millions will worship Satan who controls this man of sin. Okay, let me give you a cross-reference for this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And remember, we've already talked about this. 
two possible interpretations. The one, it's a reference to the rapture of the church when the church is taken out of here. And then the Antichrist is revealed, which begins the seven years of tribulation. Or this is a reference to an apostasy. In the last days, many will fall into this apostasy. And uh, so uh, either, or, you know, you have to come to your own conclusion concerning this. I don't want to be dogmatic about it. But it just kind of sets the, the uh, you know, gives us a time frame uh, to think about. And the man of sin is revealed, the Antichrist, the son of perdition, and this is what I wanted to focus in on, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Remember, uh, the blaspheming God uh, through his speeches, through addressing the multitudes, uh, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the rebuilt temple of God, we've already talked about, showing himself that he is a God. So the worship of the Antichrist is then enforced by another beast who is known as, and we haven't been introduced to him yet, this is going to be the first time, as the false prophet. How many of you are familiar with that name? The false prophet. He's part of the trinity of, of hell. Okay, so let's talk about the second uh, beast, verses 11 through 15, who is the false uh, prophet, who assists the, uh, the Antichrist and the devil in the population of the earth, worshiping them. So let's pick up now in our text in verse 11. Then I, John, saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and, but spoke like a dragon. Now these two horns, and again, this is subject to speculation, this may indicate his religious and political authority, the two horns. Or it could just be a, a, a reference to it or a description of a lamb who have two horns. We're not quite sure. So either or, uh, you choose. It, it really doesn't matter, I guess. In verse 12, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast, that is the Antichrist, in his presence, and he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose deadly wound was healed. Again, another reference to the fact that he might have been resurrected. right? He might have came back uh, from death to uh, life. And notice in verse 13, he has the capacity to be able to perform great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of uh, men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, by the miracles that he's able to perform, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast, we'll talk some about that image in just a moment, who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to this image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Okay, so, like the Antichrist, this beast, the false prophet, is a real man. But, he is subordinate to the Antichrist. All right, okay, now let's break down these various descriptions of him. Let's begin in verse 11. Notice we are told, coming out of the earth. 
A more accurate translation from the original manuscripts is coming out of the land. And many Bible teachers believe that that reference to the land is the land of Palestine. Now, I, again, I don't want to be dogmatic about this, and I'm not, I, to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure. I'm just passing along uh, to you what other Bible teachers have suggested. Uh, which, if you think about it, makes some sense when you consider Satan is a master of deception. So, and, and, and again, this is where the land of Palestine, where Jesus was born and died. And also notice in this, this description, in appearance, this false prophet, notice he is like a lamb. So what does that suggest? Verse 11. In other words, he's imitating the lamb of God, Israel's Messiah. And even today, Israel is still waiting for their Messiah to appear upon the scene. So this clever deception arises in the same land, the land of Palestine, where Jewish prophets in the Old Testament announced that the Messiah would one day appear. Something to think about, right? Sort of interesting. And so here in this chapter, we see a one-world religion come into existence under one head, and all worship is controlled by him. Now, let's go back to our text, verse 13. Notice there, these miracles are performed to validate the false prophet's claims concerning the Antichrist. And what do you think those, the claims that he's going to make, what do you think he's going to be telling everybody? That the Antichrist is God, right? And so to validate those claims, he's able to perform all sorts of miracles. But particularly, he is able to call down fire from heaven. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Remember the two witnesses that we were introduced to a couple of weeks ago. They had the same capacity to call down fire from heaven. But I'm particularly thinking of an Old Testament prophet. Remember Elijah who was able also to call down fire from uh, heaven. Remember on that one occasion, the contest between the prophets of Baal and uh, you know, to determine who was the true and the living God, whether it was God Almighty Jehovah, the God of Elijah, the God of Israel, or the false God, Baal, right? And the contest, remember, it was involved. They, they dug a ditch and they, pour, they filled it with water and then they built this altar and they... They, they, uh, they, uh, they put the wood on the, upon the altar, and, and then they were both, uh, Elijah as well as the prophets of Baal, they were supposed to cry out to their God. And whatever God responded by bringing down fire and consuming the sacrifice there upon the altar would be determined to be the true and the living uh, God. So don't you think that this false uh, prophet, think about it, it puts him in the class of Elijah. And remember what Elijah said. He said, let the true God answer by fire. So I could picture this false prophet saying, you know, to the multitudes that are standing before him, let the true God answer by fire, and then fire would come down and consume their sacrifice. You see the deception that's going on here? Something to think about, right? So through these men, both beasts, the devil will finally receive the worship of the entire inhabited world. But once again, we know how this whole thing plays out, and gang, it's only going to be short-lived. And remember, 
The temple in the city of Jerusalem is rebuilt by this time, which becomes the center of this devil worship. And an image, which is indicated here in our text, of the Antichrist is set up in the midst of the temple with the capacity to speak. Notice it there in verse 15. We've already uh, gone through that. Now, I don't know exactly how this image that's going to be set up by this false prophet in the rebuilt temple upon the altar, I don't know whether it's going to be through, uh, you know, uh, animatronics. Is that, the, is that the correct word? Or it's going to be supernaturally uh, given the capacity by the devil to be able to speak. But nevertheless, it's going to be able to speak. You know, it's something I was thinking about this the other day, and I, and I did uh, mark it down in, in my notes. In the 115th Psalm, where the psalmist is putting down the false idols that men and women worship, he refers to them as having mouths, but they cannot speak. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have hands, but they cannot help. But such is not the case here. This is an idol that's set up to draw the worship, right, of the people, but nevertheless, he has a mouth, but guess what? He can't speak, right? So again, another uh, deception. And by the way, that's recorded for us in the book of Psalms, the 115th uh, Psalm. So when the image speaks, whoever you are, you'll worship, or, this is the other alternative, or you will be killed. Now that brings us to our fourth and our final point this morning, and that is the mark of the beast. So in verse six, verses 16 and 17, let's pick up there. And he causes all, that is the uh, false prophet, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor. So whether you have a, you know, a fat bank account at this time, uh, whether you're rich or poor, whatever advantages you may have, or enjoy at this particular time. It doesn't exempt you from worshiping this, this beast. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Now, I, you know, I don't know exactly what this is. There's been a lot of speculation about this. This could refer to a computer a chip that's placed uh, under your skin. It could, it could be a reference to a vein scan. Uh, we have both technologies available today. We're not exactly sure. Again, this is subject to uh, speculation. But anyway, let's go on in verse 17. Nevertheless, there will be some mark. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Okay, so here is the mark of the beast, the reference to it. Identifying the one that is bearing it, both, if you've taken this mark, that you are a worshiper of the beast and that you submit to his rule. And without it, folks, you're branded as a traitor to the government and you're killed instantaneously or, and here's the other alternative, you starve to death. Notice what it says. The only way that you're able to buy or sell food is by having this mark of the beast. You know, just think about it. You know, you go to Whole Foods and, and uh, you know, they have all of this new technology now, right? You just use your smartphone now, boop, and you're out of there, right? In some uh, different supermarkets now, you just take them off the shelf and uh, they calculate in your, um, your bag, 
you know, as you check out, they, they actually know by you just taking it off the shelf, you know, what you've purchased and how much, how much it actually cost you. And then you just walk out of the, the supermarket. The technology that we possess today is like really amazing. So think about that, right? So this is the other alternative. It's the only way to buy and sell is to show that mark. Okay, verse 18 we've already covered, so I'm not going to go uh, into it. You know, someone, you know, someone said to me, I, I remember back in the day, and I always use this as, a, as an example, and they always say to me, you know, Pastor Mike, when all of these things begin to happen, and uh, I'll be reminded of that Bible study that you taught in the book of Revelation in chapter 13, and, uh, and, and, and you know, in that day, I, I will bow my knee and confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But listen, you're going to either have to die, or you're not going to have any food for yourself or to feed your family. So here's the question. If you can't live for Jesus now, how in the world do you think that in that day you're going to be able to die for him? Something to think about. Well, anyway, before we close this chapter this morning, let me draw your attention once again. Let's go back to verse 8. And let's read it one last time. Verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Listen, gang. Terrible days are coming. The clouds of judgment are already gathering. How long do you think it will be before God steps in and says, enough is enough, and he takes his church out of here. Listen, there's only one way out, and that is through Jesus, who is the door to our absolute safety. And those who receive him are described as those, notice, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So let me ask you this question. Is your name written there? And are you ready for his coming? If not, will you turn to him that is Jesus today and be saved. You know, there's this old poem in an old out-of-print uh, commentary that I have on my shelf, and I thought that it was is very appropriate, particularly as it relates to the Lamb's Book of Life and whether or not our name is written in it. I care not for riches, neither silver nor gold. I would make sure of heaven. I would enter the fold. In the book of the kingdom, with its pages so fair, tell me, Jesus, my Savior, is my name written there? Lord, my sins, they are many, like the sands of the sea. But thy blood, O my Savior, is sufficient for me. For thy promise is written in bright letters that glow. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them like snow. Yes, my name's written there on the page bright and fair in the Lamb's Book of Life. Yes, my name is written there. Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be The book of Revelation is filled with symbols and numbers and pictures that seem beyond comprehension. Yet each one has a purpose and meaning. This book takes you into the end of the world time when Jesus will return to redeem the earth and rid it once and for all of evil. It's a time that may be sooner than you think. 
And that's why we're so glad you joined us today to study this important final book of the Bible on In My Father's House. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this series in Revelation, or if you want to explore Pastor Mike's studies in the other books of the Bible, just visit harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified each time we post a new edition of the show. We want to meet you too. If you're going to be in Midtown Manhattan, come join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org or join us virtually. We're streaming each Sunday and Thursday so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. That website again is harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know that we're praying for you. You are a valued listener, and we're grateful to have you tuned in to learn about the love of God from the pages of Scripture. With that, our time with you is coming to an end. Join us next time for another edition of In My Father's House. There's a place for